Welcome to Reuse on Replay with the Reusable Packaging Association, where experts and thought leaders from around the reusable transport packaging industry discuss current topics involving the use and value of reuse systems and the distribution of goods in the supply chain. In this inaugural podcast session, we feature a panel discussion on technology developments for the tracking of reusable packaging assets like pallets, bins, and containers, and how the creation of smart packaging is providing visibility in the identification and movement of products. Welcome to this conversation on packaging's digital transformation. Thank you for listening. So welcome everybody to the panel discussion on uh, product traceability through a reusable packaging platform. Uh, we have uh, experts here from companies that serve this space. And um, uh, you know the idea around this panel is to talk about how traceability of products through the supply chain has increased in importance, uh, mostly over the last year or so dealing with the COVID crisis. There's been a lot more attention paid to this as companies are shipping medicines and vaccines uh, and protective gear uh, around. And so the traceability uh, aspects have become uh, more important. And some of the data shows that um, it's actually increased the, uh, the adapt adaptability of that technology by several times and, and sort of accelerated the acceptance of traceability technology. We're here to talk about reusable packaging specifically as part of the Reusable Packaging Association's um, offering here. So uh, first, I just thought we should introduce ourselves and then we'll get into a few questions uh, and take it from there. So I'm moderating the panel. My name is Sean Stockman. Um, I'm with OnePack. OnePack is a platform company that uh, really is involved in a circular economy where we have a technology ecosystem that ranges from uh, handheld uh, mobile apps to IoT devices to an online cloud-based platform where all stakeholders in a reverse logistics or loop logistics process can see the data around uh, the movement of goods uh, through a, a loop or a circular process. Um, so we'll go on to some of the other companies. Um, uh, we can start with Nimblelink with uh, Scott. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, John. Yeah, so Scott Schwabe uh, with uh, with NimbleLink, uh, an air game company. Uh, at NimbleLink, we're really focused on the uh, on the edge communication devices, uh, building and designing uh, battery powered uh, autonomous uh, devices that can actually uh, track materials that go indoors and outdoors uh, through uh, licensed cellular networks uh, that actually drive to the uh, the capability and drive the data for traceability. So looking forward to being part of the panel. Great. And we have another Scott from Rome B. Would you want to take it next? It's Sean. Uh, my name is Scott Hurley and I'm with Rome B where I lead our product marketing and strategy groups. And Rome B is a real-time supply chain visibility company where we use IoT sensors in combination with our platform and apps to track and monitor both shipments as well as the critical supply chain assets that are used to move shipments as well. Great. And next we have Tim from Smart Logistics. Hi, Sean. Uh, I, uh, Smart Logistics is an asset tracking company and we're specifically focused on using reusable 
packaging and the assets employed to keep track of the assets themselves as well as products. Great. All right. Well, so in uh, our research for this, we <clears throat> sort of discovered that there's a lot of different ways of looking at, at traceability and a lot of definitions of that. So I know each of us have sort of a, we're coming at it from a slightly different approach. Um, maybe we should start just a level set what we all think to, from our approach, what we think traceability really means. I think it can, uh, it is a little bit distinct from trackability or monitoring, uh, where someone might uh, want to know the location of something. But traceability kind of goes beyond that, where it can mean a few other things. Um, how about we start with just uh, what, what does traceability mean to you as far as products and reusable um, packaging goes? Tim, you want to start with that? Sure. I, when I think of traceability, I, I really think of uh, the compliance aspect, typically, or chain of custody. So I think of um, where a product has been um, on a journey. And so I think of uh, like food supply and medicine supply, where it's really critical that, um, that the life of the, or the, the journey of the product is essentially recorded. So that if you've got a problem with uh, food, that they can track back to where the problem came or medicine uh, or what have you. I think of blockchain and sort of giving, giving multiple entities the ability to see um, the life journey, if you can call it that, uh, of a given product. And reusable packaging is, is particularly useful with things like that because uh, it allows, it, it, it usually it stays with a product over through multiple um, waypoints, if you will, and make it kind of an ideal way to to keep track of something like that. And uh, also um, reusable packaging by its nature as reusable is often more durable than, than a you know, disposable packaging, for example. Uh, so it makes sense to invest in, in the, the infrastructure uh, necessary to do that kind of tracking. So that's what I think of with, with traceability. I think bigger picture, uh, there's sort of one, knowing where one package or one uh, part of a shipment, a pallet, for example, uh, has been, is, is valuable. But over time, I think it's really going to be more about the, the flow of goods and what's actually happening in the supply chain where you can see the, the velocity, uh, maybe even get demand cues based on where uh, a large sample of, of shipments uh, are going. So that, that's kind of how I think about it. Oh, you're on uh, mute there, Sean. So why don't I just jump in? I, I want to add to that a little bit, if you don't mind. So as I, uh, in addition, you know, and, and, and Tim made really good points on that chain of custody where the uh, uh, the product is. I also um, see a lot of uh, industries, like I was really looking at knowing the condition of, uh, of, of 
their assets as it's moving around for traceability? Is it, you know, is it staying within the temperature range or the humidity range? Is there, are there things going on with the, uh, the asset as it's moving along? If you look in the food industry, if there's going to be recalls for, uh, for anything, can you determine where it might've been contaminated or where something happened to it? So you can be predictive actually saying, wow, here, as we're tracing this, uh, it looks like we're going to have an issue in the supply chain and, and it's not going to be good when it gets there. You can actually start building or, or getting more product, getting ready to ship instead of waiting until after it arrives and then inspecting it. So there might be early indicators that we can actually that we're seeing that uh, that the industry is really taking advantage of in this traceability. So I think that's just an additive area that we're we're seeing in the in the field. All right, and good this point. is Sky. Just to expand on that, I think there's a couple of interesting ways that reusable packaging, reusable assets can be part of the traceability story. First one would be most or many shipments are, are tracked at say the container or the trailer or the truck level. And through the use of reusable assets that can be much smaller in size, whether it's a bin or a tray or a tote, or depends on what the industry is, you can actually get a much smaller item level. And as you are transporting goods, if those goods say on air cargo get segregated, if you're only tracking at the at the container or the truck level, you no longer have real traceability for all of your shipments anymore. And so through the use of, of IoT or other tech, tracking technologies with the reusable packaging, you are able to be much more confident that you do have traceability for the entirety of the shipment. And then the other aspect is around uh, contamination. I think when you think of traceability, we think about where something may be grown or produced. And then we need to know where it was as it's being moved. But there's also the potential for, depending on what usable packaging you're using, that if it wasn't properly cleaned or uh, humidity was removed, et cetera, you could be introducing contaminants into whatever you're, you're moving as well. So understanding the location or as uh, Scott talked about, the condition of those reusable assets can be also important part of the story for verifying traceability in, in quality of product. Yeah, that's a good segue. You know, um, when you talk about either the time of contamination or the time where temperature may have gotten above a certain level or humidity uh, was exceeding the limit or, or even uh, knowing at the carton level or case level when it left the vehicle or left a pallet, then you're starting to get into the, some of the finer uh, distinctions of technology which allow you to do that. So we're talking about sensors, what can sense humidity or temperature or movement. Um, you're talking about ways they connect to the reusable package itself. I know, you know, in the cannabis industry, for example, they might have a pallet full of cartons and they need to know when each carton gets delivered at a retail store. So they might have a sensor on the pallet, but they have, uh, or they might have an IoT device on a pallet, but a sensor on every carton. And as soon as it leaves the area of the pallet, you know it got delivered. And then, you know, there could be another way to know that it went to that particular store. So what intrigues me about that is that it, you're talking about Bluetooth and IoT and all kinds of sensors that connect that way. Let's talk a little bit about the tech ecosystem that really supports all this. And 
Uh, I know that when we were first researching this several years ago, it was sort of baffling how many different kinds of devices and connections and data flows uh, to, to generate the data that someone might want out of a solution. Um, uh, Scott Hurley, I know that um, you've, uh, or Scott Schwabe, I know that you've, you've done some, some pretty good work in this area, and I wondered if you wanted to start just by kind of giving what you think is uh, the basics of, a, of the tech ecosystem that someone should be considering when they're looking at doing this. Sure, I can start out, because obviously, uh, um, if you think of the, uh, the the system going from the edge of collecting the data, you know, and then and then creeping up all the way through the the user interface to the application uh, and the, into the software platforms, we need it all uh, because uh, and but I'll talk specifically about the uh, the um, the edge and what's uh, what we see going on and trends in the industry, and then I'll let somebody else talk about the the platforms and the in the cloud. Uh, you know, obviously we just. Uh, um, finished up last week at the uh, the Pack Expo, uh, and a lot of people from the reusable group was there, and and you know technologies like RFID have been around for a long time, and uh, been using RFID, and it's uh, it's inexpensive, uh, but once the uh, uh, from a traceability point of view, once the package or the reusable package leaves the building totally lose uh, capability for, for full circle cycle tra uh, um, uh, traceability. And that's where some of the, your, now with the technology of the low power wide area networks, uh, if it's cellular, if it's LoRa or you know some other technologies, have the ability to, to have um, devices which actually have radios to, to communicate while the, the devices indoors or outdoors moving around uh, to various locations. So we're seeing more and more reusable packaging to, you know, putting um, distinct cellular uh, uh, trackers or distinct LoRa WAN trackers on them. Uh, when I say trackers, uh, you know, obviously some condition monitoring and so forth. Also looking at some, uh, you know, where some of the trucks might have uh, um, a gateway or ability to have a, a sensor where they can actually track BLE tags um, as, as uh, the, the packages come on and off the, uh, the vehicle or what we might call swarming where you might have uh, a cellular uh, um, uh, gateway or a cellular mobile access point on one of the uh, or on the pallet and then you have multiple Bluetooth uh, devices. Uh, so there's you know, there's the technology is here today uh, to actually drive that traceability from from the factory to the warehouse, driving across the, the United States or moving across the, the seas and then knowing where it is. It's, it's just a matter of um, selecting that technology for your application in the uh, in the specific vertical that you're you're working in. So so it's exciting today because it's there. It's uh, um, and then maybe, uh, you know, either Tim or Scott, if you want to talk a little bit about that and then a little about where the data goes in the ecosystem of, uh, of traceability. Mm -hmm. so this is Scott from Rome. I think, um, yeah, these are these are all tools that are means to an end. And, and it's useful to not think of one as better than another. They all serve different purposes at different price points, whether it's a barcode or RFID or Bluetooth or cellular technology or or Wi-Fi, certainly as improvements are made in technology and price points come down, we have the ability to do even more with, with some of the higher end 
technologies. But as I said, they're all means to an end. And what is really necessary is to take that data and put it into some sort of platform that can make sense of that information and ultimately drive towards solving for some sort of business value, which requires having that either real-time as well as historical data compared against what had occurred before. Or maybe you have no information before, but you can compare from now going forward and start to see as your supply chain for these assets light up, what actual improvements are being made on the operational side, as well as improvements from a business value standpoint, which goes to making sure that you're, you're measuring the, the right things. Mm-hmm. You know, from my vantage point, um, I, I just totally agree with Scott, Scott's. And uh, I, I think that the technology is, there's a, there's a lot of usable technology right now. And, and that I, I actually find that the issue, there, there really have been very few situations uh, where the technology was the limiting factor. Um, it feels more to me like the, 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 the limiter is uh, the capacity of business owners to understand what is possible and how to, how to turn that into something that, that matters. And so, you know, it actually feels like a lot of what we spend our time doing is, is, uh, is, is helping businesses understand what is possible uh, and, and just how to, how to apply it, which is kind of unusual. I mean, it's, it's a really, you know, I feel like these technologies are all pretty new, but even, even as new as they are, they're really capable. And there's just so much that can be done with what exists today that frankly, it's about imagination. I mean, I, I really, I think it's, well, imagination and, and, an, and an ability to connect what is possible to the problem that's occurring um, in a way that, that can actually drive um, obvious business value because business owners don't want to, there, there are very few executives anyway that, that are, um, there, there are absolutely some that are visionary, but most don't really have time to think much about um, what could be done as much as what, what's going to change the bottom line, what's going to drive corporate um, value. And, and so I, I just um, I'm thrilled with with where the technology is. And I, and I feel like going forward in the reusable packaging world, um, it's a lot about convincing shippers what what can be done if they um, if they track stuff or if they trace stuff. Well, that, that really speaks to the reason why uh, someone would want to go down this road and and choosing wisely only the technology you actually need to solve a particular problem or to give you a particular set of data that you need for the business. And so uh, I wonder if we shouldn't talk a little bit about you know the business case where I know when, when we have these um, engagements, the hardest part really is to narrow the focus and not get sort of uh, swayed by this really cool technology that can do 16 different things when you may only need a couple of those things. And so, you know, the challenge that we often have uh, dealing with, with prospects and clients is to narrow the focus down to what is the business case you're trying to solve and what's the ROI? And so, 
depending on what the issue is that you really need to get a handle on, um, it could be any number of different applications. And I know, you know, Scott Hurley had uh, a few points of different types of, of applications and problems that are commonly solved. I wanted, Scott, if you could kind of run through those and just try to give us a sense of what the range of, of business problems are that this uh, traceability technology is commonly used for. Thanks, Sean. So yeah, most companies come to considering this type of technology because they're trying to solve a problem. And more often than not, in my experience, that problem is asset loss and that they either are, are they, they're going somewhere, they don't know where they are, they, they can't find them anymore. So they're gone, they've just disappeared or they're being stolen. And depending on the on the, the assets or, or the packaging, it could be a couple of dollars or it could be thousands of dollars per asset. And so what we've seen is that through the type of technology we discussed before that, that many customers um, can be very happy with the initial return on if you know in real time where your assets are, you can solve 50 to 75% of, of asset loss in the, the right context. You know, if someone's being very clever about stealing, it's a little bit more difficult. But just understanding where your assets are is a strong return on investment as it is. But what we found is that by lighting up their supply chain with this information, this data allows you to see so much more about your supply chain and it becomes um, almost exponential, the ROI that ultimately you can receive to include um, increasing asset utilization. So by understanding the dwell time, how long it's taking for your assets are, are, are remaining idle at different locations within you or your customer supply chain. And by understanding why you have dwell time there and reducing it, then you can do more with less. And so you can either reduce the amount of overstock that you have, which is nice if, if you have it, but each additional asset costs money. And if you're leasing that, you can reduce leasing costs. Or if, you're, if you own it, then going forward, you don't need as many because you have increased your utilization of your existing assets. And in today's supply chain um, restricted environment, you may not even have all the assets that you need. And if you cannot ship your goods to market through the assets necessary to do that, then you're not going to be make, making any money. So the more you can utilize the assets that you do have, the better off your bottom line. So that speaks to increased cycle time and velocity or throughput of your supply chain. The quicker you can move things through uh, and get it to market or, or to shelf, the more money you're going to make. A really powerful additional benefit is stopping revenue leakage by identifying unauthorized usage of your assets. So if it's supposed to, for example, in the um, produce industry, if you're if you're lending or leasing RPCs to a grower and the grower send, fills it up with produce, sends it to a store, if it's supposed to come back to the leaser every time, but instead it's going back and forth to the grower, then they are not being billed. And so by identifying that usage, you, you can make sure that you are billing for it and recover a lot more revenue. There's also reducing demerge and detention fees, especially for bigger assets, so like containers and tanks within ports, either uh, detention fees because they're, again, they're within a port for a long amount of time and you're paying for that space and you don't necessarily know why or didn't realize they were staying there, or demerge fees are 
if it's a trip lease, for example, and it's supposed to take a week and it's now taking a month, you're, you're paying a lot more for that tank, maybe even twice or, or three times more. So by again, just by understanding dwell time and reducing it, you save a lot of money. And then the final is automating inventory count. So if you need assets and they may be spread all over the world, you no longer need someone to go out and count how many of each individual reusable asset that you have in a particular location. You can just query the system and you can see the ones that you have and their status and their condition. So all told, we've seen it can be a greater than 10x a return on investment through the application of this tracking technology. Of course, that's assuming you have people who know how to analyze that data and can take action based on it, which is not always a small thing. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Well, I, I think, um, you know, there's an additional layer of challenge here, which is that um, being able to take, I, I mean, I, I agree everything Scott just said in terms of, of uh, I don't know, sort of key issues that can be solved with, with asset tracking, but it's really figuring out how does that play into the strategy of a company? I mean, one is always reducing cost. Absolutely. And, and for many companies, that's really key. But, you know, there's also how, how does it become a strategic issue? How do you get to because the supply chain guy, the transportation guy, you know, not, no disrespect for anybody that's in those positions, but often they're not the one that are signing contracts. And, and to the extent that you can go beyond um, start with the folks that are that are feeling those specific pains but really understand how do those pains fit into a broader um, strategy for the company uh, such that it matters to a CFO or a COO or a head of sales. Um, you know, if you can, if you can translate all of the issues that Scott just laid out into a compelling case for customer satisfaction um, or a COO for how, how can you improve process? You know, how can you really, fix the recurring patterns that are driving some of those things to happen? And how do you, in some cases, affect relationships with customers or supply chain partners to figure out how everybody wins? Um, because there's, um, there's a lot more if you can really get to the, the impacts or the implications of what, what Scott's just described. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you know, in you know, summary, thinking about the impact on uh, you know, what traceability for reusable packaging you know, is, is going to and should hit you know, either the income statement or the balance sheet. And if we can you know, talk to the, uh, the right people and help them understand it, uh, it's either summarized going to increase revenue or it's going to decrease costs. Or it's going to actually decrease the number of assets you need to have, you know, need to get your job done. So, so I think you know it can have those efficiency balance sheet, and so th these are real uh, um, executive decisions that uh, um, right now the reusable packaging organization can bring to companies uh, with traceability. Yeah, I would agree with that, and um, it sort of goes to the next point, which is, you know, how do you get started? Let's say somebody in an organization. And it could be either a supply chain person or an inventory management person uh, for reusable packaging or a production person who's having uh, shortages of the packaging that would allow them to increase production and keep a smooth production schedule. Um, 
let's just say that somebody brings that to the table and they want to get started. Um, what's the best way to do that? You know, I think, you know, for us, when we have a conversation like that, we're often starting with the business case, like what are the problems you're trying to solve? What are you trying to accomplish? And then identify the technology, the minimum technology uh, that they would need. And for us, you know, we're a platform company. And so we, we tend to think about things like a software development firm would in terms of using an agile process of execution. And so we look at a minimum viable product. What is the minimum you need to get started to at least get the first data necessary to solve that problem? And then what else do you need to build on to that? And so depending on what the needs are, we identify um, technology to go with that. And then we look at, you know, if we can't provide it, who are partners who can? And I'm just curious, you know, each of you kind of handle a different part of this. Um, and I know that not one company can solve all the needs. And usually if you have a device, you need to connect to a platform. If you have a platform, you might need to connect to uh, an app or device or some data plan out there. Um, what do you suggest when people uh, want to get started with this, how you sort of decipher the, the amazing array of technology out there and companies too that offer a little bit of this or a little bit of that. And it's really hard to know if who you're talking to has a, a complete solution. Um, and generally, I know you guys can probably put together a complete solution starting with your own technology and building out relationships. Is that how you do it? Um, anybody want to take a shot at that? Well, I can. Uh, this is, go ahead. Let's go ahead, Scott, please. All right. Yeah. So, so two things. You know, you had mentioned putting requirements together. So, uh, you know, it's really key. No matter where the where you start, is to at least understand your basic requirements. And number two, how are you going to measure your success of your MVP of your project? And so we drive quite a bit, you know, into kind of how to measure it. And then, and then I think, you know. Uh, in my advice is it really doesn't matter like you take the, the the panel here just get started start with one of us and then the other ones will bring in the the, the right partners and this is what we've proven through the you know because uh, the, the the nice thing about this ecosystem uh is that there is it's there's a lot of people talking to each other and so if you if you just get started and say okay i'm going to start here and if it's the start at the cloud or start at the edge device we're going to bring it together because ultimately I'm at the edge device. If I don't get the customer to get the data to be able to see it, I know that we won't actually sell more edge devices. And, and if somebody's you know really driving the application in the cloud, they're like looking for the right partners that it's going to be easy to integrate with. So so you automatically have an ecosystem that's trying to find the right partners to, to work with to solve these problems. And so, so my advice is uh, uh, don't get too caught up on, you know, if, 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 you, if you've got a reference where somebody else is using somebody or you know somebody, just get started and say, hey, let's go. And then, and and because if you try to solve it all internally and try to try to figure it all out, I guarantee you, you don't have the right resources to do it. I guarantee you that you don't have the bandwidth and I guarantee you, you're gonna, you know, it's, it's just gonna be in the wrong direction. So. Pull, pull in one of the experts and, and just get started. Good thought. Scott? So at Romby, we sell 
subscription to a capability, not to a particular device based on, on what you want. But the reality is, and I think the, the biggest fear and the objections that, that many potential users have going in is that it is not a frictionless process to use any type of, of sensing device with a, an asset or a shipment, right? Someone actually has to physically either affix, embed, uh, pair it, and then it needs to be somewhere on that asset, for example. And then that means that it's exposed to damage, it's exposed to um, the cleaning process, it's exposed to theft, things like that. And then you need to think about um, you know, where is it going in terms of geography? And do you have the connectivity if you're sending it to, to South Africa or Ethiopia or parts of India? You know, it's easy if it's all within the United States, for example, but if it's a global, do you have the right connectivity at the um, where you need it? As well as do you have the certification? So if you're using an IoT device um, in some parts of the world, unless that country has actually physically inspected and given you the right certification to do it, then you can't use it. So uh, and it's up to whoever you choose to work with to make sure that they understand what your needs are and try to make it as frictionless as possible and educate, make sure that whoever is required as part of the process has both the training on what it takes to use them and as well as the understanding as to why it matters, right? Because otherwise it's just one more thing that I got to do in my, my day and it's likely to uh, not occur or they get lost or, or broken, et cetera. And so um, I think being, being forthright and making sure that they understand what does take and why is necessary to use these is important to setting the right expectations. Yep, good points. Tim, what do you think? Oh, you're on mute. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you, you got to have, um, I agree with both of you uh, that you just got to get out there and, and talk to people because there is, there's a ton of solutions. There's a ton of angles to come at these problems and, um, and it helps to be a little bit familiar and also to figure out what you do and don't want any part of. I also think just internally, um, understanding what you're really trying to do and making sure that it matters um, probably to more people in your organization than you. Um, if you're a if you're a, a supply chain person, um, you know, making sure that you understand how this is going to hit the bottom line and frankly how your own company is going to make a decision about it because. You know, we're talking about new capabilities that few companies really know how to evaluate. You know, it's not it's not something that your company has probably ever bought before. So you better have some idea of um, how are you going to decide? Because if, if the other people out there, uh, the potential vendors and partners are going to help you to really come up with a solution that matters, you're going to need to know. Uh, what you really uh, are trying to accomplish and and what you're going to be able to turn into reality. So I, I guess I would just add to the conversation to look within and look beyond just um, kind of your, your own purview as it relates to a project like this, because it's probably going to affect um, a number of different people and have benefits for a number of different people. It's a great point. I think, you know, one of the lessons that we learned kind of the hard way is uh, to assemble an internal team that represents each department uh, that you think is going to be impacted one way or the other. Uh, which is typically 
depending on what the asset is and where it's going to be traveling and the, the, the type of product that's on it, it could be someone from production, someone from inventory management, uh, as far as the reusable packaging assets, uh, someone from the financial side somewhere, because, you know, they're going to have to reconcile the payments and the benefits and the ROI. Um, and then the whoever's really the feet on the street that's going to be, uh, like Scott Hurley said, applying the physically applying the device or attaching it. You got to have someone in operations, I suppose, who's going to be in charge of deploying this technology. And there's a lot of physicality to that. So, and aside from that, once you figure out who that who should be on that team, then I think very smartly, as, as Tim said, you need to figure out what the decision-making process is gonna be, who's got the final sign-off, who's gonna review it and make sure it checks all the boxes for all those departments and you're all on the same page before, and then who's gonna pull the trigger? How do you make that decision and what are the factors there? So uh, really great points there where you've got technology implications, financial implications, and team and organizational implications that you have to actually decide. Um, so I think we're just about out of time, and I just wanted to, to wrap up, you know, with anybody who has any final thoughts that we didn't cover. Um, for me, I think we've kind of settled on uh, a, a rounded sort of presentation where we think about the technology itself, what's involved. Uh, we think about the ecosystem it fits in, what the business case is, uh, defining the requirements around that and what you want to get out of it, and then thinking about who's going to be involved in that to make a good decision. Uh, anybody else like to give a little wrap up or anything else you'd like to add? Scott Schwalbe? You know, I, I think just the only thing is, you know, I mentioned a couple of times is the technology's here uh, and, 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 you know, it, it doesn't, you know, just moving forward to, to, to figure out your application, I think is, uh, is the tough thing to make that first step. And, and, uh, and you've got, uh, a, you know, good people to work with and, you know, on this panel and, 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 and outside of the ecosystem. So. All right. Great. Thanks. Mr. Hurley. You're on mute though, I think. On mute. So to emphasize again, what, what others may have said already, um, we don't, as our company, we don't do proof of concepts anymore. We'll, we'll do proof of value because we we've already demonstrated throughout the marketplace and, other companies here representing can, can do the same that the technology works so when you're thinking about this i would say don't have this as, as sponsored by your r d department or innovation department certainly it's fine to to involve them but i think you can see from the customers that we work with already that the technology works and make sure you involve the actual business people and operational people because ultimately they're the ones that will be signing the, the check most likely and that need to actually work this and they're the ones that are going to get the benefit out of it. But five years ago, was it everything working? No. Is it today? Yes. Great. Good point. Tim? Dream big. <laughs> There's a lot of technology out there and a lot of things that can be done. Yeah. So, you know, if you start going down this path, talk to a lot of people and and really, really figure out how you can change your business because for the right companies, this technology can be game-changing. Totally agree. Well, thank you all for participating in the panel, and thanks for watching. And uh, you can always go to reusables.org to get more information about each of these companies and others like them. Thanks very much.